What's going on, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 55 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by Russ Ortiz. He played in parts of 12 seasons in the big leagues with six different teams. Six of those years at the beginning were with the San Francisco Giants, and I'm super excited to have Russ come on the show. Russ, how you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I know, um, obviously, the 2021 Major League Baseball season just got underway. Uh, so kind of just to start us off here, whether it was at the minor league level or at the big league level, what was kind of the excitement leaving spring training? Uh, I mean, it's 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 all the workup, you know, the excitement of, well, you, you did all the workup and now, it, you know, you get to um, compete for real because, you know, spring training, it can get monotonous. I mean, every day is pretty much the same. Um, although I did enjoy my time in Atlanta when we were in a spring training in Orlando, cause we, we played a lot of golf. So we did all our work and then got to play a lot of golf. So that, that helped, yeah, you know, to break that up. So, but, uh, but basically every day is the same. And so, um, we, you know, once you get to break camp, uh, just the excitement of, okay, now it's real. It's everything that you are working for, you know, in the off season and during spring training, you know, now gets underway and you just want to get started on the road to hopefully, you know, competing for a, a world series championship. So you've been out of baseball now a little over a decade, I guess. Do you still ever get that yeah. itch at that, that itch when the season begins? No, <laughs> um, <laughs> That, and that's one thing, you know, when I, when I hurt my elbow and, and had to have uh, elbow surgery and was set, set out a year, uh, I got to be home for, you know, for a little over a year um, and it was great. And so I, I got a taste of what, you know, retired life would be retired from baseball life would be. And, and, and it was great. And so once I retired, uh, when I made a decision to just be done and, you know, I got let go by the Dodgers in 2010 and had a decision to make to either go to AAA or become a free agent. And um, so when I cleared waivers, uh, you know, I made the decision. It was like, I'm not, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pursue, you know, any other teams or uh, any other situation. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was nice when I said I was done that, it meant that I was done from everything from, you know, all the preparation, being away from the family, uh, the competition and all that stuff. And uh, the only, the only way that I was able to make an easy decision like that was because I spent a year home, you know, while I was rehabbing my elbow. Yeah. So which clubs do you still keep up with? Are you locked in on the Giants still? Are there a few other teams that, that you kind of have eyes on? Yeah, I always pay attention to the Giants. I mean, they're the ones that drafted me. That's the organization I grew up in, and that's the organization I was with the longest. And so there are still some good friends that are still working with the Giants, um, coaches and uh, in the front office. And so I definitely pay attention to them as much as I possibly can. And same thing with the Braves and the Diamondbacks and, you know, a little bit. I didn't have much time you know, with the Orioles or the Astros, uh, or the Dodgers. So, um, you know, so I, I didn't make the kind of, I didn't, I didn't have the kind of relationships that I did with the, the other teams. And so, um, so I would say just giants, Braves and Diamondbacks are the ones I pay most attention to. Um, but I love baseball in general. So, um, I look forward to the season starting just to be able to watch baseball and see, you know, some of, uh, the players that I know, um, you know, that are still playing and then, you know, watch some of these young, younger, exciting players that uh, everybody wants to see. Yeah. Baseball's back. And I think it ever, it fills a void for everybody for sure. Uh, so let's jump into kind of your career growing up in Southern California. How did you, how did you get into baseball? What was kind of the baseball scene? Was it competitive? How did you kind of fall in love with the game? Um, and, and what, when did you kind of know that this is what I want to do and I'm pretty good at it and I could accomplish this? Well, I think as, as early as possible, um, 
you know, our, our, we live with my brother and I, my brother is 10 and a half months older than I am. And, uh, you know, we live with, we had to live with our grandparents. Um, our, our mom worked for the Los Angeles police department in downtown LA. And so, um, you know, we needed something more stable. She had, you know, gotten divorced from our dad and, and then he stopped coming around. So, um, really early in our life. So, it was just her. She was raising two boys. And because she worked in downtown LA, we had to stay with our grandparents. So our grandpa, you know, played sports growing up. He played uh, fast pitch softball in the, in the army. And my mom was a, you know, tomboyish. And so she played sports growing up. So, so from an early age, you know, we just were messing around with stuff. And, and then uh, pretty quickly, baseball was the thing that, especially for me, uh, that I became interested in right away. And, uh, and then once we got signed up for T-ball at age five, um, that, that was it for me. It got me hooked and that's the only thing I ever, ever want to do. So I would say from age five or six, you know, that's, that's the thing that I had said, you know, I wanted to do, um, uh, you know, when I got older and stuff like that and, and playing the major leagues and, and everything. And so, so that was always from as far as I can remember a dream of mine. And, and, uh, you know, it started in the front yard with, with our, our grandpa and, and, and my mom and, and my brother. And so uh, to be able to have that dream at such a young age and, you know, to play on TV, to play in these big stadiums, have a baseball card, all that stuff, and then be able to actually do that, um, you know, it's a really cool thing to, to be able to say that, you know, uh, and tell my kids that, you know, if you want to go for something, you never know, it may happen. And so, uh, so we just try to encourage them to, to just go for it, whatever they're passionate about. And, you know, but per, pretty quickly, baseball became a passion of mine. And, and that was literally the only thing that I wanted to do. I played other sports just to play, but, you know, it wasn't, there was, the passion wasn't there like it was for baseball. Where was the allegiance? Were you a Dodger guy? Were you an angel guy? Where was kind of your allegiance? Uh, I would say, I'd say a bigger fan of the angels because more Dodger games were blacked out on TV um, than angel games. And so, so we actually got to see the angels play more uh, on TV. And, uh, but we went to way more Dodger games live at Dodger stadium. Um, So I would put myself more of an angel fan growing up um, and, but also kind of a Dodger fan, you know, because I was, that was the team closer to home. God, something's never changed. Josh Bell of the <laughs> nationals just said the other day that when he was on the uh, COVID, the COVID uh, contact tracing list, he couldn't watch the games because they were blacked out. So I guess something's yeah. it's, it's a big problem for <laughs> sure that needs to be fixed. So it's pretty crazy, but that's besides that's the pretty point. incredible. Yeah. I it's mean, incredible. It, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where I, I don't fully understand, you know, like why you have to have, I think it's basically a sold out crowd. I, I want to say, you know, in order to, uh, for it not to be blacked out, but, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, <laughs> that's the type of stuff that I don't, I don't really pay too, too much or spend too much energy trying to figure out. Yeah, it, it's a common sense thing for sure. So uh, what, what kind of intrigued you about the University of Oklahoma and their baseball program? I was asked, I was told that, it, you know, if I bring up Oklahoma and the Sooners, your eyes would light up. So what, <laughs> what kind of, uh, what kind of, uh, what kind of interest did you have in, in Oklahoma and why? Uh, so, well, that, that came from my pitching coach in high school. So he, he came in um, my sophomore year. I believe. And, um, and he, he just, he made me better. You know, I mean, I had somewhat of a foundation, uh, you know, as far as pitching goes, but he, he helped solidify that and, and made me some help make me so much better, uh, push me, you know, I was clearly the best pitcher on the team. Um, and, uh, he never let up on me and I'd be, I was able to become, one of the best pitchers in the San Fernando Valley and, you know, but he never let up on me. He never let me take that for granted. Uh, he was always pushing me, challenging me and all that stuff. So, so he, 
was a college pitching coach before he got to our high school and uh, at Pepperdine. And so Pepperdine played Cal State Fullerton. The coaching staff there ended up being the coaching staff at Oklahoma. You know, head coach Larry Cochelle, Pat Harrison as a hitting coach and Vern Rule as a pitching coach. And so he developed relationship with them. And so when it was time for me to, you know, get recruited, look at college and stuff like that, he, he just said, Hey, what do you think about Oklahoma? At the time I was like, I've never heard anything about Oklahoma baseball, uh, only football and basketball. So um, I don't know anything about them. So he just said, Hey, these coaches are really good. And he, he says, I think, you know, you would do great with them, especially with Vern rule. And so I, you know, would you like to check it out? So, yeah, sure. So I went on a recruiting trip, met the coaches. They were awesome. Um, nothing was going on at school because a lot of times at, you know, recruiting trips, um, you know, you have guys, they take you to parties, they take you out and, you know, and all that stuff. And my recruiting trip, there was nothing going on. Every, all the parties that they said they had, you know, the, the teams were all out of town. So um, the guy that took me around, we went to eat. And I think we went to go see a movie and just hung out and that was it. And so it was pretty uneventful, but um, the thing that did it for me was the fact that the coaches, you know, so easy going, um, wanted to win, came with, came with, uh, you know, great, uh, you know, pedigree and all that stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, that was, I decided like, you know, I want that easy going, you know, feel Oklahoma sports is huge football, especially in basketball. And um, it'd be nice to go to a school like that where everything in Norman revolves around, you know, the University of Oklahoma. So, um, yeah. So once I decided to go there, um, you know, it, it was an unbelievable experience. And, and yeah, most people, <laughs> I think everybody that really knows me knows that, uh, you know, you start talking about the Sooners and stuff that, you know, yeah, I get excited. I mean, I love everything about being a Sooner and, and, um, you know, Oklahoma football, you know, basketball, sports, golf, now softball, you know, and of course baseball. And so, um, yeah, so I'll, I'm, I'm a big time Sooners fan and, and, uh, you know, people make fun of me for wearing Sooner stuff all the time, <laughs> you know, everywhere I go, but I, I just can't help it. I mean, it, it's, obviously a big part of my life and, and, you know, something that, uh, uh, I'm very, very glad I, 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 I chose, uh, OU to go to. Yeah. And one thing related to the Sooners is you witnessed, um, kind of the decision-making process with Kyler Murray and on whether he wanted to play football or baseball, you know, what needed to happen for him to choose baseball or was there just no chance that he would have made that decision? So, you know, I played with his uncle um, for many years. Yeah. And so uh, Calvin Murray. And so I, you know, asked him that same question. And um, but all I ever heard of, of Kyler, I mean, I, I heard of Kyler from him. I think when Kyler was playing Pop Warner football and once he got into high school, I mean, everybody, you know, heard about him then. And so um, so all I've ever known is you know, his dream of playing in the NFL. And so, um, so once he, I was excited that when he came to OU, because I, you know, I've, I've heard how good he, he was. And, um, and of course I watch YouTube and stuff and, and check, check out what he can do and pretty special, obviously. And then for him to come in and really only play one full year of college football uh, as a starter and, and win the Heisman Trophy and, and, uh, you know, getting selected number one, um, you know, I, I think getting drafted for baseball, there were, there was obviously that talent there, but um, I mean, if I had to guess that that was never anything that was going to be considered, um, that would be my guess because, uh, but that was before, football season I believe right and and so no one really knew exactly like how the season was going to go so so I think it was just there's a more of a fallback and but you know he's obviously an incredible athlete and um 
and to be able to play two sports in, in a you know major college um, and be that good is 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 pretty rare. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and it it, it tells us that athletics is not you know even with the addition of technology and all these distractions there's still nothing like an athlete like there's still nothing like there's nothing holding these guys back from loving sports so that's nice to see um so back to you you know getting getting drafted by the giants kind of as a as a reliever as kind of a late inning guy how did that transition into a starting pitcher go because i know today we see guys transition the other way around from the starting pitcher and they're considered, you know, failed starting pitchers and they move to the bullpen where they learn velocity and they all of a sudden yeah. become, you know, they all become mini Mariano Rivera's with, you know, 96 and a wipeout slider. So how did you make the transition the other way around? Well, I mean, all through high school as a starter and, and through and in college, I did everything, you know, a little bit of starting middle relief, long relief closing and and I got drafted as a closer um out of OU and so uh so they knew what they ended up telling me is that they knew that I had you know three good pitches and um I mean quite honestly when I was closing and and single a and double a I never really used more than two pitches um and I mean 95 percent of the time it was just fastballs and so um kind of a cool thing that I have no explanation for is when I left OU, you know, every year, I think, you know, my velocity went up just a little bit and, but I never remember seeing any pitch faster than 93. And that would have been in the college world series in uh, 1995, the year I got drafted. So I don't remember seeing anything faster than 93. And so um, I get drafted, I sign, I get to Bellingham, Washington and, my first game I'm throwing 95 to 97 consistently and with most, mostly 96, 97. And I, I had no idea until they, you know, the guy, the other pitchers, cause they, they were like, well, we never really heard of this guy. He is fourth round draft pick. We don't really know anything about him. And so, you know, they all came up to me after the game. They're like, do you know how hard you were throwing? And I was like, no. And, like, how hard do you think I was throwing? And, you know, I, I probably told them, you know, about 93 or something. And, and so then they showed me the charts and everything and, and I was blown away. And so for the next, that year, and then the next year, you know, I'm throwing, you know, 94 to 97 miles an hour um, consistently and no idea how, how that happened. And so, so anyway, so the transition happened after my, my second year, after the 96 season, they come up to me and said, we, you know, we'd like for you to, to start. And I thought that was going to stall out my, um, my movement upwards. And so I wasn't very happy with the decision, but then I, I quickly came to the realization of, I mean, you know, I, I kind of have to just do it. And, uh, cause they told me, they said, you know, if it doesn't work out, we know you can close, you know, we know you can be a short inning guy. So, so we're not worried about that. And so, so that made me feel a little bit better. And, but I really did feel like it was going to, you know, stall out my, um, my upward movement. So, but they just told me, I said, you know, we, we know you have uh, three good pitches and, you know, the mentality, the makeup, we know you started throughout high school and did some in, in college. So, um, so we think that you could be a really good starter and they, you know, they're just like my, my makeup, the, my body type, all that stuff and, and everything that, you know, is maybe better suited as a starter. And, and, you know what, they were right. Um, it, you know, they made, they made the right call and, and, and that's, that actually helped me move up faster. Um, probably than than if I stayed a closer. So Sean Estes said he liked pitching at candlestick park because, you know, the disadvantage it gives the hitters. What did you think about pitching at candlestick? I only, I, I know you only had a few years there, but, what was it like taking the ball in such a crazy cold environment? Like, what was that like? Well, I mean, like Sean, I loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first thing that you realize is that when everybody comes into candlestick park uh, for, you know, the other teams right away, they're freezing. 
and it's uh it's it it gets to you because you know the wind um is blowing pretty good it swirls around all that stuff but but the the biggest thing is just that it's cold and so um i always felt when we go somewhere else and it's warm and all that stuff you know we come to san francisco kind of help rejuvenate me at least and you know um and so I love that part about it. But the other part is, is, yeah, I mean, everybody was thinking about how cold it, cold it is, how windy it is and all that stuff. And so I was able to not worry about it, I guess. And, um, and feel like, yeah, it did, it did give me a slight advantage, um, you know, at first. And, and then, I mean, of course, all the veteran players that have been there for years, they get over it, but, but a lot of, you know, a lot of the players that, you know, they haven't been there very many times, they come in and it's, it's, it's a little bit of shock to the system because um, it's cold, man. And, you know, when you're not pitching, that's when you really feel how cold it is because you're sitting in the dugout and the wind just kind of, it swirls, it goes right in through the dugout and, you know, you have these heaters, um, you know, like these jet heaters that are on each side of the dugout blowing. And so, I mean, they're filled with gas and, and so you have gas fumes, you know, in the dugout trying to, and, but you're staying warm and, uh, and then the wind comes through and yeah, so it's, it's brutal when, when you're not pitching, but when you're out there pitching, I mean, you don't really think about it, you know, that much, but, uh, like I said, it's, it's more of a mental thing, um, that I try to take advantage of and, and I mean, the ball didn't fly out of there. So, you know, that was another thing. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like the wind was blowing out all the time. So, so I, I felt it was a fair park, you know, of course, when we moved to the current ballpark, um, you know, it was a short right field, but you keep it away from, from right field. I mean, it's, it's tough to hit it out. So, um, so I, I was fortunate to, to pitch in both ballparks where, you know, you definitely had some advantages being, you know, being the home team. Yeah, got it, it's so crazy that they only looked at that ballpark during the day when they were trying to figure out where to where to put a new ballpark in San Francisco in like the 50s <laughs> or whatever. They only looked at it during the day. So that's pretty incredible uh, for sure. So I, I got to ask it, how much do you get reminded about game six in 2002? How much <laughs> is that like is that the one question that you just always get asked? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, every interview I do, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and uh, what I always tell people is at that point in my career um, with the organization that I was with, you know, the Giants at the time and knowing how solid, solid of an organization it was and me thinking, you know, as long as I continue to keep doing well, I'll get to stay here and, and, and all that stuff that you know, even after the world series, it's like, you know, it was, a uh, it was heartbreaking at the time, but I honestly felt like, you know, that's okay because, you know, we'll get more opportunities or, or I hope to get more opportunities, you know, whether it's with the giants or, you know, happen to be somewhere else, but, um, you know, but now that, you know, that was what 18, almost 19 years ago. Um, and, as more time passed, you realize like, it's not that easy to get to the world series. And so, um, so I wouldn't say that it's, it's a, it's something that really bothers me. Um, but it's like, man, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. Like I play golf now. So, you know, a lot, I try to play a lot as I, I don't play as much as people think I do, but I, but I try to play a lot. And, um, so it's like missing a, a putt, you know, on the first hole and then, you know, you go the rest of the, the round and you play pretty well. And, but if you would have made that one putt, you know, you may have beat another player or you may have, you know, if you're betting with your friends, you may have actually won or, you know, whatever it is. Like, so you look back, you're like, gosh, man, you know, that I missed that opportunity. And so, so that's what I look at it. It's like, that was, that was a missed opportunity um, that some of us never got to experience again. And, and I was like, that's, that's the part that I'm just like, hmm. you know, I, I kind of do that motion. And it's like, darn it. You know, that's, 
it, it wasn't a big deal back then, but now it's just, uh, you know, that, that would have, um, that was one of those situations where you could, you wish you could have back. Um, you can't, so I don't, I don't sit and dwell over it, but it's just, you know, when the moment comes like last, you know, what was it last year, you know, they took out Blake Snell, um, in the world series. And it kind of reminds you just like, and they didn't win either. And, and it's just like, man, you know, you wish you could have that opportunity back to, to, you know, that you, what would, would I do something different? You know, what, of course I'd want, you know, this, the decision to, to stick with me, you know, um, be there, but, uh, you know, you can't change the past. So, so that I don't dwell on it too much, but I, at the same time, it's, it's an unbelievable memory still. Um, I mean, it's the, it's the greatest, uh, baseball memory that, I you know, that I have, uh, that's something that, you know, I always, my brother and I, we'd play a wiffle ball in the front yard, pretending like we were playing in the world series and trying to win a world championship. And so, so that's something that, you know, we dreamt about as kids and to be able to say that I got to pitch, you know, twice in a world series and, and get really close, you know, it's still special and it's still the best experience that I've ever had in baseball. Yeah, no, for sure. Do you still have the game ball that, that dusty game? Oh, of course. Walked up to yeah, of yeah. course. Where's yeah. that? Uh, it's in, you know, we have a little off office here at, at the house. And so I, you know, we have a couple, um, uh, cabinets where I have, you know, a bunch of like baseball stacked up, you know, all the bobbleheads that I collected and some other, you know, smaller memorabilia things that fit on, on a shelf. And so, so it's in there at the house we had before it was displayed, um, you know, in this room, uh, you know, we had, uh, where I displayed some of the stuff. And so I displayed it in there and, and, uh, you know, and so, I mean, that's the thing that people want, you know, want to know, uh, most is, do I still have that ball? And, and it's the same thing. I tell people, it's like, it's, that's the most unbelievable experience I've had in baseball. And, and that's the actual ball that I pitched with in the world series. And so, so to me, it's a special thing, you know, it doesn't remind me of what happened. It it reminds me of, you know, the, the fact that, uh, I got to pitch in a world series and, and, um, I, and this is the actual ball that I got to pitch with. Cause when you really look at it, even though, you know, everybody didn't like the fact that Dusty gave me the ball. Um, but when you really look at it, how many guys are, you know, actually take with them, you know, something that they like, you know, a, a, especially a pitcher, a baseball that they used, um, you know, in the world series. And so, um, and Dusty's, you know, a great, great manager, a great guy. I mean, he and I had, have had such a great relationship. So, yeah, so it's, it's all that stuff mixed in and then, you know, and then it becomes a good, you know, talking piece uh, as, as well. And, um, and so it's just, and it, you know, it brings back some memories that, you know, aren't fun to think about, you know, obviously losing the world series and then it brings back a lot of good memories. And so, um, so it's, it's still a special ball for me. Yeah, it had to have been cool playing against the Angels. I know you mentioned earlier that the Angels were kind of your team, kind of in you know yeah. in Southern California. So was there a lot of family there at that game? Yeah, that seeing that, and that's one one of those those things where you know I can add on to you know making it special is that I had probably at least fifteen family members there. You know, my mom. Um, you know, I think. Uh, can't remember if my grandma was there, but anyways, uh, uh, you know, grandpa was there, my brother, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, extended family and stuff like that. And so um, we had a nice little group there, you know, up in the second deck, um, kind of in between the dugout and home plate. And so, you know, every time I walked off, I could see them. And, and, and so it was, it was really special. Yeah playing in the stadium against the angels, like you said, a team that I grew up is probably my favorite. And, um, and then being able to walk off, you know, in the seventh inning and 
acknowledge my family and, and stuff. Cause you know, they've been, you know, super supportive throughout my whole career. And, um, and so, you know, to, to, to be at a world series, I mean, it's exciting for them too, to be able to not only be at a world series, but to be at a world series that I'm actually, you know, pitching in. And so, um, and then, and, you know, another cool thing is my high school teammate, Brad Fulmer was on the angels and he's, he's actually the one that, that got the base hit that, uh, you know, that was my last hitter. And so, um, so I, if I ever talk about this, I always tell people, you know, I threw him the right pitch. It just was in the wrong location. So he was able to get enough of the barrel on it to get through, but he did exactly what I wanted him to do, which was to try to pull an away pitch, but I put it too much on the plate. Um, so he was able to get it through, you know, first and second. So, cause I was trying to get him to hit a ground ball to second. And uh, I think I've, you know, I mean, you're talking, I mean, what's, you know, two inches more away. And I believe that he hits a ground ball second for a double play. And so, so that that's, you know, you talk about baseball being a game of inches, like, you know, that's very, very true. Cause uh, I, yeah, I was, you know, maybe two inches away from completing seven innings, you know, with us being up five, nothing. That's incredible. Baseball is also a game of irony with, with that anecdote. You know, I, I played four years of high school baseball and I can't imagine playing against any of them in the big leagues. I can't imagine <laughs> any of us even making it to the big. So that's pretty incredible. Right. Um, so how difficult is it? Cause I know you mentioned, you know, you had the, the surgery and you, you kind of stacked up on the minor league deals a little bit later in your career. Is it difficult to establish yourself year after year with those minor league deals that, everybody dreads on getting, you know, I, you had a few of them consecutively. Are those just, you know, so, you know, mentally draining every year going in the camp, trying to prove yourself. It's, it's, it's definitely, uh, very, very different from coming into camp, um, with, you know, already on a contract or, you know, having a good idea that you're going to make the team. So my first spring training, big league spring training was in 98. I had no thought of making the team. I just wanted to um, learn and work hard and, you know, show them what I got. And I did really well. And I made the team out of spring training. And so that was unexpected. Uh, the next year, I went in with the same attitude and they, I think they told me pretty quick that, you know, like, Hey, you're one of our guys. And so, so that helped relax me. And then from, you know, and then consecutive years, you know, many consecutive years after that uh, I can come in and get ready for the season. Whereas my first couple of years, I was coming in to uh, do, do really well during spring training to make sure um, well, especially in that second year, 99 to make sure that I made the team. And, and so then after that, I kind of meshed that attitude with also, Hey, you're part of the team. So now let's get ready for the long haul of the season. And so, so I kind of meshed those two together. So now you fast forward to, you know, 2007 when I was with the giants uh, went back to the Giants and, you know, was went to big league camp on a, on a minor league deal. And, um, and I took that attitude into it to do everything I could to make sure I was ready. And at the same time, show them what I got, show them what I can do. And, you know, it's a lot of the same coaches there, you know, Bochi was there instead of Dusty Baker, but there was a lot of the same coaches, personnel, all that stuff. And so, so they knew what I could do, but I was coming off of, a fractured rib, um, and, you know, throwing mid eighties to high eighties, maybe. Um, and so I think a lot of people have, you know, had known like, you know, uh, we know what, you know, when he's healthy and, and all that, what he can do, but, you know, we haven't seen, you know, we haven't seen him, you know, real healthy in a while. So, you know, with my rib injury and then the bad mechanics that, it, you know, I had, you know, and then it's throwing 86 miles an hour instead of, you know, low to mid nineties. So, um, 
so yeah, so coming to spring training that year, I just had the same attitude of, you know, I just have to come in ready and show them what I, what I can do, uh, use all of the experience that I've had to, to make sure that right from the get-go, when we start, especially when we start games, that, um, you know, I get off to a good start and then sustain that through the camp. And so I made that team. And then I took the same approach in 09 and, and 2010 when, when I went to camp with the Astros and the, and the Dodgers. And, and, it, and it's really not taking anything for granted, not thinking that, well, you know, I have all this time and I've had this success. So, um, you know, I, I kind of earned this or deserve a spot, you know, so not taking that attitude, I think was, it was a key for me and just, um, looking at it as an opportunity just to, you know, go out and show them what I can do, um, and without any pressure of, you know, well, if I don't, cause at that point in my life, I was like, well, if I don't make it, well, then maybe that's it, you know, but so I, I didn't feel any pressure to make it or not make it. I just was, I just need to go out there and just enjoy it, have fun. Don't take anything for granted and just show them what I can do. And, and so it's a, it was, it was kind of nice because I think it helped, helped me to stay fresh mentally and physically because um, I think when, you know, the longer you play, you can get into like a lull uh, going into spring training because you know, like we talked about in the beginning, you know, you know, it's like, oh man, this is going to be the same thing every day. I just want to get the season going. So it was actually nice for me and especially those three consecutive years to go in um, like if I was a younger player trying to make a team um, to go in and, and uh, look at it as, as an opportunity to show them what I can do and to, to get off on the right track, you know, very fast. And uh, so, so I had a mission there. Uh, whereas before my mission was to kind of just slowly to get to peak, uh, peak performance, uh, like the, uh, the last, especially the last start, last start, second, last start of this, of spring training. That was my whole goal was to get to peak performance then. So then now my first game out of the season, I'm at the top of my game. So, so there was a process now with having to make a team, uh, you're, you're having to be a top peak performance as soon as you get there. And so, so I'd like, I'd like that because it, it helped keep me uh, motivated and uh, you know, and so I, and I was glad I was able to make all three teams that, you know, when I was, when I was going into camp as a non-roster invitee. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to picture it here. 35, 36 year old Russ Ortiz showing up to spring training camp going, Oh, we're doing PFPs today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, I said, but, and that's the cool, the cool thing is that, you know, I've, I had, had already had already known how important PFPs are for, you know, during a ball game, I already knew uh, how important putting a bunt down, making contact, you know, uh, cause you know, pitch, when pitchers are hitting um, and, I already knew how important those things are uh, for pitchers and how, uh, how, how well it can serve the team, you know, for, for a win. And so, so I, you know, with the, you know, having to make the team and that excitement and that, you know, just, you know, getting after it and kind of showing what I can do. Like, yeah, I, I went into PFPs making sure that they saw like, I don't take this for granted and, and that, you know, I was going to do this better than everybody. And, and, but that, that's, that's always how I looked at it um, because, and that comes from Dusty Baker. He said very early on, probably my second spring training um, that uh, he's, he told us, us pitchers, he said, if you can handle the bat, if you can put down bunch, you can handle the bat. Um, you can field your position, all that stuff. He said, that will help you stay in the games because uh, then that will, that I, it will allow me to know that I can trust you, that I, I can keep you in the game. And uh, that allows you to go deeper into the ball games. Um, and I mean, because I was able to bunt well, because I was able to handle the bat, because I was able to fill my position well, 
um, he let me stay in, in some games and it, and it turned out, you know, to, uh, to where I got a win and the team got a win and, you know, it was a good thing all around. And, um, so I learned that from dusty very early on. So, so I took that to heart and every spring training, even though we're doing PFPs every day, I looked at it as like, man, this is, this will allow me, you know, instead of getting taken out in the sixth inning to, you know, to pitch into the seventh or later, um, and so, so it was always very important to me because, you know, I, I learned very early on in my pro careers that when you're a starter, your job is to, um, start the game and, and finish the game. And so, um, so in order for me to do that, I had to learn how to limit pitches. I had to learn how to handle the bat because I'm in the national league. I had to learn how to make sure I feel my position, know where I was supposed to be to back up, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, all those things, you know, I learned very early on that are, are important. So, so going, you know, going into a non-roster invitee situation, I was able to take all that experience and, and seeing how much it helps in actual real games. Uh, I was able to take that to the everyday, you know, uh, PFP, you know, practice and, and look at it as a challenge to, you know, to make zero mistakes, to do everything perfect, you know? So, so that was a challenge for me is to field every ball perfectly, make every throw perfect, back up a base perfectly, um, et cetera, you know, make every bunt perfect and all that stuff. So, so that was, that was the challenge I set for myself. And, and then, you know, I had pretty good numbers as a hitting pitcher and, and I had great numbers as a fielding pitcher. So, um, you know, so it definitely helps, you know, when you put on those challenges for yourself and, and, you know, because it, it's, it's monotonous for sure. And, and, you know, if you allow your mind to go to, you know, oh, we're doing this again, um, it may, you know, impede your, your progress. And um, then once you get out to a real game and you need to field a ball, cover base, bunt, et cetera, because, you know, you hadn't worked out as hard as you probably should have been. Um, and, and then it may make all the difference of, of you getting taken out of the game or making an error. And that could cost the team a win. Yeah, for sure. So from the baseball field to the golf course, uh, you now have a, a golf apparel company. So what is it? Tell me about it and how you got started with it. Yeah, it's called 2GG Apparel. Um, I, I started it. In 2013, basically, um, you know, got everything trying to get it rolled out in 2012. But, you know, once we got product and stuff, it was, you know, 2013. And we only started with men's product. And then we added women's the year after. And, and uh, but the, the whole thing was is based off of um, because when I was with the Giants, I from a minor league coach, he gave us some some advice. He said, you know. If you guys ever make it to the big leagues, I would suggest that you get involved with some charity organization, some some program, something that that you can give your time to because that that helps you know you just think about something else rather than just only baseball twenty four seven, and uh, you get to know the community, you get to know uh, what it's like to to serve other people, et cetera. And so, so I'll always remember that. So once I got to the San Francisco, I try to get tied in as fast as I could. And so, but it wasn't until then I actually, actually saw how much of an impact um, not only that I can make, but that other people can make and especially kids lives. And so, so that's where everything started as far as me, you know, wanting to, to get involved with, with, uh, you know, charitable organizations. And so, so once I retired and decided to do this, I wanted to make sure that I made a huge impact when I was retired on, on other people, whether as financially helping them, uh, physically helping them, whatever. And, but, uh, I was like, I want to do it a fun way. And, and the, since baseball has always been my passion, that's done. What's my next passion and golf. And that's, you know, that was, that was, uh, that's been my other passion, um, for a long time. And, and so, so I was like, well, how can I use golf, um, you know, to, to fuel something I, 
I, I also love doing, which is helping to give back, helping other organizations um, that help kids, especially. And so um, I was just looking in my closet one day. It's like all of my polos are the same. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of boring and all that stuff. I was like, I, I, I looked into that. I thought maybe maybe I could do that. And uh, so I looked into it and they just told me, a bunch of people told me, said, you know, it, you can find manufacturers that can make anything. And so I started, you know, getting samples and stuff. And I was like, all right, maybe I could do this. And I thought it'd be fun. And so it started off something that's fun and then, Hey, yeah, maybe we can help out other organizations. And, and then as we grew a little bit, started to see like, man, you know, we can help out a lot of people. And um, so I made the quick decision that we were going to give 100% of our proceeds to charity. Um, you know, I was, fortunate to have a, you know, successful career. And, you know, along with having a successful career, you get good contracts and stuff. And, and if you save well, which we did, then you're allowed, you know, you're afforded to be able to um, do, you know, help more people and do more things. And so this allowed me to build a brand centered around, you know, passion for golf and giving back. And so that's, so that's what I did. And, um, just, and I've been able to do that for seven years. And unfortunately we're winding down because of COVID, you know, we, we, we settle a lot of golf tournaments. And so, um, because of COVID, a lot of all those golf tournaments, um, didn't happen last year. Some of them are still aren't, aren't happening. And so, um, so I made a decision that this year, you know, was going to be our last year. And, um, but we, we've been able to, to help, I mean, thousands upon thousands of people around the world, um, and, and here locally. And, um, so it's, it's been a really cool thing. And, you know, I've met some great people in the golf industry, made some great friends and, um, you know, and just learned a little bit about business. Um, and so, so overall it's been a great experience and, but yeah, but right now all of our stuff is super cheap, <laughs> you know, they're all closeout prices. Um, and, uh, so we're just, I'm just trying to get rid of everything and, and I'll, I'll keep the, um, I'll keep the brand name and, and see, you know, maybe at some point in time there, there'll be a way to kind of bring it back and bring it back anew and, and, and see if we can continue to, you know, to give back and help other people. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Congratulations on that seven year run. And I'll definitely put, I'll definitely put the link uh, for anybody that wants to, to find uh, some cheap clothing uh, that yeah, you want to get you. rid of <laughs> Russell Ortiz yeah. wants to get rid of it. Yeah. So um, <laughs> before we leave here, um, how many hours you mentioned that people, people think you spend all day on the golf course. How many <laughs> hours do you actually spend a week on the golf course? And why is it 168 hours a week? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> it's, yeah. So I, so because I had, you know, for the last seven years, especially I've had a golf apparel brand. I always look like I'm golfing. Um, and, uh, you know, when you post pictures and, you know, I'll post me of hitting golf balls and, and, and just a swing, or if I, um, because of all the people I've met in the golf industry, you know, when I buy, buy their shoes or buy their products, you know, I like to tell people about them, you know, if I like them and stuff. And, um, cause I buy everything. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to just you know, ask them for free stuff. You know, I, I, I like to buy the stuff. And, um, and so I just tell people about, so, so it looks like I golf a lot. So, but, uh, last year I golfed, uh, 40 something times. And that was the most, since I've been retired, that's the most I've ever golfed in one year. Um, that doesn't include charity events, which, you know, let's say I do, six or seven of those a year. Um, cause those are just scrambles. And so there's not real rounds of golf, you know, that I post, but, um, but yeah, so I got to about 40 sometimes last year. And so I equates to about one in every 10 days. And so that's, that's the track I'm on right now. I'm trying to get it to once a week, but, uh, it's, it's just hard. It's hard with, with the business and with our kids activities. And then, you know, me actually wanting to, to be home and be with my family, you know, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to wait a couple more years, um, to be able to do the once a week thing. But, uh, um, 
so yeah, so it's, it's plenty. Um, but, uh, it's still not enough. <laughs> so you don't, you don't show up to, to, you know, graduations and stuff with shorts and a polo. That's not your, <laughs> Oh no, believe me, I've showed up to a lot of stuff with, uh, right, right off the golf course. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's uh, the, the shorts and polo is a staple for me. I mean, that's, that's everything, you know, pretty much every day, uh, at some point in time during the day, if I, if I go out to the store or whatever, like I have so many polos, um, that it's just easy to just throw on one of those things. So, so like I said, I always look like I'm golfing. Um, and so people think I golf all the time, but, uh, um, I'm pretty amazed though at, when some people play like twice a week, you know, that have, you know, younger kids. I mean, my, my daughter, I have three kids, daughter's 19 and another daughter, 17, my son's 12. Um, but there were busy all the time. We got stuff to do with the kids. And so, so it's still amazing to me how, you know, some people get to golf like twice a week and I'm like, that's over a hundred rounds a year. And that's like, I've never even got close to that. So, um, I don't even know if I'd want to play twice a week. Um, hey, priorities. But, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see. Like I said, I think if I could play once a week, that'd be awesome. And then, you know, once consistently once a week, and then uh, there'll be those times where I get to do a golf trip or, you know, something like this weekend. I'm going to. I'm playing a couple times in Palm Springs, going to a, a charity event. Um, in Palm Springs. So I'll get to play a couple times this week. I played yesterday. So, so I, so this week may be a three round week and which is, you know, rare. Um, and then last week I had the uh, club championship tournament. So, uh, that was three rounds and yeah. So, so these, these two weeks actually get a lot of rounds of golf in. And, and so that's very rare. So, um, so I, I really, you know, relish those, those times, but, uh, um, you know, this, but the more consistent stuff, like, you know, cause I want to, I've got myself down close to a scratch golfer. And so I was like, I want to keep that up. I don't want to lose that. You know I mean? It, it's become a little bit too important for me to, you know, to, to be a scratch golfer, but uh, you know, but I like the challenge of, of staying right there. And so, so I need to play more consistently. And so, uh, so I, I try to keep the once every 10 days if I can, you know, so and with a couple practices in between just to make sure that I don't fall off. Cause you know, I, I look at it as a, you never know when you'll get the call to, to go play in these cool, um, you know, celebrity events or, or whatever that, uh, um, and if, you know, if you do well enough and I've gotten a couple calls for that and incredible experiences, you know, I got a call once to be able to go play in Dubai. And so I went to play, for team USA in Dubai with all these hall of famers, you know, basketball, hockey, baseball, football, you know, basketball, um, players, you know, they're all pretty much hall of famers and I got to be on their team in, in Dubai. And so, um, so yeah, so that wouldn't have happened if I was a terrible golfer. And so, so I was like, yeah, I mean, it, it does have its benefits, you know? So that's why I try try to get out as much as I can. That's incredible. Russ, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and uh, best of luck to you, your apparel company, your family, and uh, everything moving forward. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. You guys could follow Russ on Twitter. Uh, shocker, his handle is at OU Russ. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Yeah. You're so on brand with everything, everything like the golfing, the, the <laughs> OU. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, and you guys could follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at um, Rizzo cast. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching and enjoy your day. <laughs>